Thank you very much, Robert. Well, <laughs> got to make adjustments. Uh, first of all, good morning. Good morning, everyone. feel like a class. Good, I heard someone say, good morning, sir. <laughs> uh, guys, before I, I get started, I just wanted to ask you guys, and, and just to remind you, today we are going to continue in our series called, This Is My Church. Or as uh, Charles Fletcher, one of you put it, this is our church. And uh, I believe we're in part nine today. But to continue this series, before I go any further, I just want to ask you guys a question by show of hands. Who here understands or knows how to speak French? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you very much. Don't worry, it's not a trick question. I'm not going to report you. <laughs> but uh, for those who speak French, you may or you may not know that the word errand in French is commission. And uh, when I think of the word commission in French, this reminds me of a time when I was a little young lad, young boy, and at the time I had, you know, I, I had my older brother who used to send me out to do some errands for him, to go buy all types of snacks for him whenever he felt like it. And in return, he would always give me a small portion of the very thing that I went to purchase with his money. So being the older sibling, his allowance was always greater than mine. And he would use that extra money as leverage to make me do all sorts of things for him. From making his bed to switching TV stations. Whenever he felt like it. Because at the time we didn't have a remote. And, uh, you know, any other task that our older brother wasn't too keen on doing for himself. Plus, if ever our parents ever decided to give us a rare treat, something very rare, like, let's say, I don't know, a no-name chocolate bar. Whew, my brother always made sure to never eat it right away. Instead, he would turn that chocolate bar into a little dangling carrot they would use to lure a little naive bunny, a.k.a. me, to do his bidding for him. And at the time, he knew how desperate I was, and he used that knowledge to his advantage. So whenever he saw an opportunity, my older brother would say, Harry, j'ai une commission pour toi. Or in English, Harry, I have an errand for you. To which I would respond, or in English, uh, sure, what is it? Now, in hindsight, these adventures I would be sent on uh, were definitely not worth the small portion that I would be getting in return. So, for me, in French, this is what I would call the commission qui faisait très, très, très pitié. Or, in English, those were some pretty pitiful errands. But today, on December 13th, 2015, Stone Baptist Church, I will not be talking about errands. Et non, je ne parlerai pas de commission in French. Instead, it is my privilege 
and my honor to be speaking to you all about the Great Commission and what this term means in English. The term that was spoken by the greatest person this world has ever known and that the world will ever know in this age and forevermore. And this person's name is Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone that's here today in this church. I pray, Father God, that I will be able to share your word clearly. I pray that we could all have receptive hearts. May it challenge us. And may we seek you in everything that we do. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, the offer and perfecter of our faith. And thank you for what is to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, for starters, what is the Great Commission? Now, if I go according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it would say that it would define the word commission as the authority to act in place of another. It is an instruction, an order, a command, a duty given to a person or a group of people. Now you combine that with the word great, which is defined as something that is remarkable in magnitude, degree, effectiveness. So, in a nutshell, the Great Commission would be an instruction, a command or duty that is remarkable in magnitude, which is given to a person or a group of people, but as well, we're going to see today that the Great Commission is actually much more than just that. And in order to better understand this passage, I would like to separate this text into five sections that we're going to look at together, shall we? So, section number, you can say it with me, one. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Section number, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Section number, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Section number four. Say it louder. Section number four. I got to keep you guys awake. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And section, the last one, section number five. And surely, I'm not going to hit you guys. <laughs> it's like everybody's flinching. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, as we look to verse 18, which follows right after the events of the resurrection, when Jesus finally meets his disciples in Galilee, who basically have been feeling lost, scared, and confused ever since the death of their beloved rabbi. So for them to see Jesus in person, right in front of them, some of his disciples can't help themselves but to worship him. 
while others weren't as convinced and had their fair share of doubts. So in return to all of them, Jesus says in section 1, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's stop here. This authority was given by whom? Not everybody at the same time. God the Father. Amen. And what exactly was given? Multiple choice question. Was it some, half, or all authority? Amen. So all authority, where Jesus rules over the entire kingdom of heaven and on earth. Jesus is declaring his lordship, the span of his authority, and how that's going to impact the ministry of his disciples. And I find it interesting when you compare this to a passage that was found, that is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 23 to 27. If ever you guys have your Bibles and you turn to Matthew 21, verse 23 to 27, that's where the Sanhedrin, that's the supreme religious order, council of uh, the Jews, who had a lot of authority themselves under the Roman Empire. And these priests, they interrupted Jesus while he was teaching to ask him questions about the grounds of his authority. It says in Matthew 21, verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So here, Jesus is asking his question at verse 25. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say of human or if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you, you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now, if we go back to verse 18 of chapter 28, Jesus now tells his disciples that he has authority over all in heaven and on earth. Not just one over the other, it's both. I remember a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan Ebenezer, he spoke to us about a term called the grammar of the gospel. And in the grammar of the gospel, if you recall, he mentions that the commands of what we do as Christians... It flows out as what, at, at what has been accomplished or completed by Christ. This has been done by Jesus, therefore, fill in the blank. It is for us 
to claim, to trust, to live out on a day-to-day basis. What Christ has already achieved and accomplished. Keeping in line with the text, because of the authority which was given to him by God the Father, therefore, he says in verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Which brings us to section number Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's an active command that he gives to his followers. A movement is implied. Again, this may resonate with a previous message that Charles Fletcher may have touched on. Yet this command, this action to go and make disciples, is not going to happen by just staying seated or waiting for people to come to you. No, Jesus is not implying. He is not suggesting. He is saying to go, to move. The opposite of stopping, of staying stagnant. And it doesn't happen by itself. It happens and implies that it's something that you must initiate, to trigger, to cause into happening. To encourage in others. But to encourage and inspire something in others, one has to show it in their very lives. By our actions, our words, our hearts, by God's grace and love. And all this encouragement is to do what exactly? It's to make what? Go and make what? A disciple. Now, what is a disciple? Again, according to the dictionary, a disciple is one who accepts and helps to spread the teachings of a famous person. And this person is Jesus Christ. Furthermore, a disciple is a devoted follower, a learner, And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verses 47 to 50. In Matthew 12, verse 47, it says, Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is calling all those who claim to be his disciples or the ones to do the will of his Father. Our Father in heaven. Because in this day and age, it is so easy to lose sight of knowing what makes a Christian. Let's take, for example, a general survey that has the question on the topic of religion. And it would ask you, among the options below, what would best describe your religious beliefs? Your options would be Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, atheism, agnosticism, no answer, etc. And the list goes on and on and on. 
Now, for those who answered Christianity, the answer might not mean the same thing from one person to the next. One person may have selected Christianity, that option, because they grew up in a Christian home or a Christian environment, and yet they have no desire to grow in their Christian faith. It's simply head knowledge to them. And without making it a true life-changing, life-changing experience that's done on a daily basis, another person may have chosen Christianity because they think it's the most socially acceptable answer found in North America. Yet, by no means are they indicating that they have a personal relationship with Jesus as their Lord of their faith and the Savior from their sins. Their faith is merely an opinion on Jesus and nothing more. You would ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They would say yes. But there's no commitment beyond that. People's perception on what is a Christian or what a Christian should be, has become very subjective from one person to the next. For both Christians and non-Christians alike, everybody has an opinion or standards to which, to which they hold a Christian. What he or she is supposed to look like or what she or he is supposed to behave. And that's why it's important for us to look at the Great Commission and the words of Jesus to help us focus our attention on what he said as an anchoring point before getting derailed by the misinterpretations of what a Christian is supposed to be. Discipleship is an ongoing process through thick and thin to become more like Jesus and to learn from his example. So we may focus, so so we may we focus on becoming a disciple of Jesus by imitating him and embracing his teachings, striving by God's grace to reflect his holiness, not simply settling merely with his salvation. So go and make disciples of all nations, both far and near. It reaches out to all of us with both missions through missions or evangelizing abroad. Or at home. Because sometimes the nations come to us instead of us coming to the nations. As we're seeing right now with the influx of Syrian immigrants that are coming to Canada. That is just one example out of many where the nations come to us. The point is that it's not how far you go or where you go. But just that you go and do it. Another interesting contrast is found as we compare what Jesus said before and after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 5 to 7, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. After the resurrection, in Christ, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. 
for all the nations, for all who place their trust in Jesus, the resurrection and the truth. So moving on to section number, section number three, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're to lovingly encourage those who are in Christ to be baptized, to publicly show to the world that they're a member of the body of Christ in his church. And in the same manner, Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3. His baptism was done as an example, a formal act for his disciples to follow. In fact, anyone here who's considering baptism, please do go see Pastor Jordan. For those who do not know Pastor Jordan, he's waved his hand right here. And I'm sure he would be more than glad to share more about this act of obedience. And also, many of you may have witnessed when our young people, a few of them got baptized a couple of weeks ago. And may we continue to praise God for the work that he's doing in them and in us as well too. Amen? So now in section number four. You guys are doing better. Awesome. First it started. One, two, four. All right. In verse 20, it continues. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I love this passage. We are to teach to help someone to learn about the faith and everything that it involves through lessons, courses, or by example, by just how we live, by showing them by our actions. Teaching is not just limited to classrooms and Sunday school teachers. Teaching could be done one-on-one, even without calling it teaching. Any day of the week, Anywhere that we meet, we could still be teaching by the very lives that we live. For myself, I would love to see an older lady teaching a younger girl about how to have passion for reading the Word of God. I would love to see the older men teach the younger guys how to earnestly pray during tough times. And when things are peaceful and you don't think you need to pray. I would love to see an older generation teach the younger generations about how to keep a church healthy and God-centered. I would love to see people spur each other on to write songs, as Jonathan once said. Or getting creative with our talents, with our ministries. Developing our talents instead of keeping them hidden. I would love to see brothers and sisters become teachers and students alike, not just one over the other. I would love for disciples to be ageless, to be willing to grow and be challenged spiritually no matter how old you would get. I would love for us to go and reach out to others and to strive to be like Jesus instead of just hearing sermon after sermon telling us what we should already know for the most part. 
I love this passage because I know that it's a challenge of a lifetime. It's something that I can't escape, but I must embrace my very life. And finally, and everybody say it with me, section number five. Verse number teaching them to obey everything I have commended you. A simple word like obey has always been a tall order for me. Does it say to obey partially? Does it say to obey partially? When you feel like it? Does it say to obey only certain things or everything? And again, if we go according to a dictionary... To obey is to do what someone tells you to do or says you must do. It is to conform to the teachings of Jesus, trusting in his ways more than our own ways. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, For for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 20 to 21. In our current times, with what's happening in the news, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a passage that could easily be taken out of context. But to live is Christ is to live a life of compassion towards others. Where our hearts constantly needs to be softened and our minds renewed by the grace of God, meditating on his word daily so that it stays fresh in our spirits. And finally, at the end of verse 20, Jesus said, and you guys could say it with me, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, surely, not maybe. It's an absolute, a certainty. I am with you always, not sometimes. He is with us always to the very end of the age. Now, when is the end of the age? In Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only God the Father knows. The end of the age means until the end of times. And the times have not yet ended. Therefore, Jesus is still here with us right now, with you, with me, with all of us, and all those who have and will put their trust in him. So let us not grow tired and weary to pray for those whom God has placed in our hearts and in our lives. And I understand. I could see how you guys might be feeling right now. And I could relate on everything that we've read so far in the Great Commission. It could sound like a very, very, very tall order. But we're not alone. As it says in Matthew 1, verse 23, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. Jesus is God with us. So in conclusion, what does this mean for us today? At Snowden Baptist Church, we looked at how the Great Commission is a call to each and every one of us personally. It is also a call to us collectively. At Snowden Baptist Church, being part of the global body of Christ. So may we go outside the four walls of this church to love and to serve our communities wherever that may be. May we be encouraged and may we encourage each other to be a church that places the Great Commission at the very center of all our ministries. From Sim City to Oasis to the young adults to prayer meetings, small groups, men's ministries, women's ministries, etc. Let's be praying for our neighbors, our colleagues, family members, and invite them to services, prayer meetings, why not? And let's invite them to today's Christmas play, happening at 1.30 at 6.30. It's still not too late. If you haven't done so, you can still invite people. I know I have. You can even text someone even today. You don't have to text them now. Well, actually, you can even text them now. I've done it many times, not during the service. I wasn't texting while I was sharing the message. But still, I pass the message on. So obviously, with that being said, after all the things that Jesus went through, starting from his birth to his baptism, his ministry, the miracles, the Last Supper, his crucifixion, his death, and after his resurrection, Jesus doesn't come back to give a reproach or to rebuke his disciples. He doesn't voice out his disappointment or his frustration towards the ones with doubts or a lack of faith. No, instead, Jesus knows that those of us who are worshipers can also be doubters. Yet he still gives to each and every one of them the same great commission. God can use you wherever you are in life. It doesn't matter. Brethren, the great commission didn't end with the 11 disciples. The great commission continues where each and every one of us to all those who claim to be his followers, his disciples. Jesus is saying to all of us, even now, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, may we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as he has commanded us. And surely he is with us always to the very end of the age. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father,
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it doesn't turn to deaf ears, but may it truly bear fruit in our hearts for your glory, Father God, because of your love, because of everything that Jesus laid down and he was obedient to the point of death. And he's been the ultimate and greatest example, not just for Christians, but for everyone throughout the world. So, Father God, I pray that with everything that was said, Lord, may we internalize it and ask, Father, how could everything I just heard, how could I translate that and make it alive in my own life? How can I be reaching out to a certain person? Who are those people I have in my, you have that I should reach out to? Who are the people I used to pray for that I stopped praying for? May those things come back to our hearts. May our creativity to reach out continue to expand. May we have that passion, Father God. May we encourage one another to go out and make disciples. And may all this, when it's all said and done, may we be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.